my friend. This is your story, If each of us plays the hero in our own story, are we automatically resigned to be the villain in someone else's? Is there really such a thing as redemption, and what does it take to make the hero fall? Today we're going to be talking about one of the most misunderstood elements of storytelling, the opponent. Far too often, the villain, antagonist, or opponent is classified as the embodiment of pure evil, darkness incarnate, eternally stagnant in both past and future. They've always been evil and they will remain that way forever. This assumption is the first place to start when creating your opponent. Let's take a look at possibly one of the oldest and most well-known villains in history, Lucifer. Almost every culture and people has a word for the devil. Even if those people aren't religious or don't believe in a higher power, almost everyone has heard, or at least heard something of, the devil known as Lucifer. Slightly less well-known is that the name in the original Hebrew actually means shining one, light bearer, or in Greek, the morning star. According to the legend, Lucifer was an angel beloved by God and revered by the other heavenly beings. Yet in a terrible string of events, he slowly descended until he was cast from the heavens forever and separated from the light he had once known. The implications of this story can be quite chilling if seriously considered. The father of lies, the destroyer, the prince of darkness, evil incarnate, the personification of wickedness and supreme cruelty, was once a hero. So that idea that some people are evil right from the womb, that there is never they were never anything but wicked, I think stories are much more powerful if you toss that silly idea out. The potential for supreme evil lies within us all. Dostoevsky once said, Nothing is easier than to denounce the evildoer, and nothing is more difficult than to understand him. Too often we put people into two categories, good guys and bad guys. However, Dr. Philip Zimbardo, the author of The Lucifer Effect, stated, The human mind has infinite capacity to make any of us cruel or kind, caring or indifferent, creative or destructive, and it makes some of us villains. Do we have the right to consider some people permanently good or condemn others as naturally bad, when we're all beings capable of evolving, possessing infinite potential in both directions? Dr. Zimbardo stated in his TED Talk, The Psychology of Evil, that there are seven social processes that can grease the slippery slope of evil. His words, not mine. <laughs> Mindlessly taking the first small step. Dehumanization of others. Deindividualization of self or anonymity. Diffusion of personal responsibility. Blind obedience to authority. Uncritical conformity to group norms. Passive tolerance of evil through inaction or indifference. Zimbardo's theory was mostly focused on good people acting with cruelty under the influence of unjust leadership. But a lot of what he says can be applied to other types of villains too. In his book, The Lucifer Effect, he states, Good people can be induced, seduced, and initiated into behaving in evil ways. 
they can also be led to act in irrational, stupid, self-destructive, antisocial, and mindless ways when they are immersed in total situations that impact human nature in ways that challenge our self of stability and consistency and of individual personality, of character, and of morality. This is not to say that we are purely victims of our situations, at least I don't think so. Believing in our power of agency, truly respecting our ability and responsibility to act for ourselves, to me, that's what makes life meaningful and that's what makes a story powerful. Think about it. Is life perhaps not set in stone, but in dirt? Walk the same trail too many times and soon it will be the only path you can take without struggle. Can the cosmic scale of morality more accurately be described as a slippery rope that one must always be working to ascend so as not to slide far past where they started? Is it possible that we exist simultaneously as both clay and potter, molding and carving ourselves into the creatures we become, but each starting from the same muddy origin, clutching in our clumsy fingers the same tools with which we will shape our eternal destiny? Don't you dare settle for making your villain a cheap approximation of whatever monster you saw in this cinema as a child. Don't you dare eat the regurgitated idea of that flat and fictional boogeyman. Don't you dare. Your villain stands beautiful, painful, exquisite, the distorted reflection of what your hero might have become had they taken one fateful step off course. Okay, now the melodrama is out of the way, so let's talk logic. The function of the opponent in your story. I had a lot of fun writing that first part, by the way. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> okay, so if you look at your opponent as someone who is purely evil all the time, you're going to write a really lousy story. The function of the opponent is to provide conflict, to be an obstacle for the hero. If your hero and your villain are after different things, then there's no conflict. They can both get what they want and everybody's happy. But that's not a fun story. So the way to create suspense, the what you need to, to drive your story, the way to accomplish is really simple. Your true opponent is competing with the hero for the same goal. They don't need to kill every person who irritates them. They don't need to scream all the time and they definitely don't need to laugh maniacally every two minutes. Um, the deepest goal of your hero is also the focus of your villain's desire. Take most detective stories, for example. On the surface, it might appear that the hero and villain have different goals. But if you look deeper, what are the detective and the murderer really fighting over? They're fighting over whose version of reality will be believed. That's the same goal. So if you find the hero's goal, figure out who would keep them from getting it. Then you've found your opponent. So let's look at the opponent linked in with the other organic story steps we've talked about so far. 1. Weakness or need. The hero has a psychological and moral problem so intense it's literally ruining their life. 2. Desire or goal. The hero finds a goal, quest, or task they desire and they will pursue that with all their might. Along the way this will address their weakness or need. However, step 3. Opponent. There's a being that stands in the hero's way, preventing them from achieving this goal. Oh my gosh, can you already see how much more effective that is than saying, you get three acts with three scenes and three conflicts? Yeah, I like Tribu's organic story planning much better. Let me know what you think. You can comment or email me. I'm really curious to see how this is working for you, because holy crap, this study is changing everything I ever thought I knew. Okay, 
here are some other points for your villain character consider- <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading my script and I, I remember writing this part. Um, some other points for your character creation consideration. I don't know what it is with me in alliteration. <laughs> I'm not even good at it. Okay. Anyway, step one. You should have some kind of power imbalance. Step two. Your villain must have strong motivations. Step three. They should have a history. And step four. You must surround them with uncertainty. And trust me, we're going to be talking about villains so much when we dive into character creations and suspense and all this other stuff. But for right now, these pointers will get you in the right direction. Okay, so step one. If the hero is too much, or sorry, if the opponent is too much of anything, you're going to have a problem. If they're too weak, they're simply not that scary. And strength doesn't need to be physical. Think about characters like Umbridge from Harry Potter. She's a fat old lady, but most people hated her more than the Dark Lord because she had the power to expel and punish students, even if she couldn't do a push-up. That technically made her more powerful than the main characters. So step one, the opponent should have power equal to the hero if they're a rival. Think like Captain America versus Winter Soldier. And if you want to have a terrifying villain, then give them way more power than the hero. Two, your villain must have strong motivations. Now, the character doesn't necessarily need to understand themselves perfectly, but you must understand them perfectly. You have to understand exactly why they do everything they do. Insanity is not a motivation. If you're going to give your villain a mental condition, please study up on it first and make sure you know exactly what you're doing because that can go wrong really fast. Don't ever use the excuse because they were crazy. No. Their motives must be credible and driving. Try to figure out why they want to oppose the hero. Ooh, that's so good. Okay. I've never actually seen this show, but I read an analysis on the villain Homelander from The Boys. And the thing about one thing about his motivations really stuck out to me. See, the character is a total narcissist. He loves killing people because it confirms his belief about himself, that he's superior. However, he also loves being adored just as much as he loves killing. So his motivation to maintain his public hero status is in direct competition with his motivation to kill. This complex inner battle makes him so much more fascinating as a character. And technically, the same trick can be applied to your hero. Okay, step three. They should have a history. If you've ever watched a Saturday morning cartoon, this is a mistake that's way too frequent. The bad guy shows up out of nowhere and is stupid powerful and the hero's scared, but the audience doesn't really care. Unless they know this opponent has a serious history of evil, knowing what the opponent is capable of giving, gives them credibility and is really freaking scary. If they don't know, they don't care. For example, in Harry Potter, the villain is the Dark Lord Voldemort. Years before the story began, he was apparently at war with the wizarding world and was so terrible that people couldn't even say his name. When the story starts, he's been gone for over a decade, but that fear lingers on and penetrates the new story. We learn to fear this guy before we ever meet him, before we see any proof of his abilities. And last but not least, in fact, last but most importantly, uncertainty. You must surround your villain with uncertainty. There's a quote from a book, Audition, that I really love. In fact, it's an entire chapter and it only says, Consistency 
is the death of great acting. That's it. That's all it says. But it's so true. Consistency is the death of great acting. And certainty is the death of your suspense. When a good villain is on stage, the audience has no idea what's about to happen. It's almost unbearable. If the villain reacts the same way in every situation, you're killing your suspense. You can't end every scene with them killing someone or screaming their heads off. It becomes predictable. If your villain is too volatile, they become laughable, almost childlike and silly. If you really want to scare your hero and your audience, then keep shocking them. Keep expanding their horror with new revelations about the villain. Remember, the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. The more uncertainty that surrounds your villain, the more tension towards the hero getting the goal, and the more satisfying your story. Thank you so much for listening. I am Julie Elziv, and I will see you next week at your Storyteller Outpost.